Section 35 of Around the World on a Bicycle, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by William Tomko. Around the World on a Bicycle, Volume 1, by Thomas Stevens. Chapter 17, Part 1. Through Erzingham and Erzurum. Chapter 17. Through Erzingen and Erzurum. For mile after mile on the following morning, my route leads through broad areas strewn with boulders and masses of rock that appear to have been brought down from the adjacent mountains by the annual spring floods. Caused by the melting winter snows, scattering wheat fields are observed here and there on the higher patches of ground, which look like small yellow oases amid the desert-like area of loose rocks surrounding them. Squads of diminutive donkeys are seen picking their weary way through the boulders, toiling from the isolated fields to the village threshing floors beneath small mountains of wheat sheaves. Sometimes the donkeys themselves are invisible below the general level of the boulders, and nothing is to be seen but the head and shoulders of a man, persuading before him several animated heaps of straw. Small lakes of accumulated surface water are passed in depressions having no outlet. Thickets and bulrushes are growing around the edges, and the surfaces of some are fairly black with multitudes of wild ducks. Soon I reach an Armenian village. After satisfying the popular curiosity by riding around their threshing floor, they bring me some excellent wheat bread, thick oval cakes that are quite acceptable, compared with the wafer-like sheets of the past several days, and five boiled eggs. The people providing these will not accept any direct payment, no doubt thinking my having provided them with the only real entertainment most of them ever saw, a fair equivalent for their breakfast but it seems too much like robbing paupers to accept anything from these people without returning something so i give money to the children these villagers seem utterly destitute of manners standing around and watching my efforts to eat soft-boiled eggs with a pocket-knife with undisguised merriment i inquire for a spoon but they evidently prefer to extract amusement from watching my interesting attempts with a pocket-knife one of them finally fetches a clumsy wooden ladle, three times broader than an egg, which, of course, is worse than nothing. Now I traverse a mountainous country with a remarkably clear atmosphere. The mountains are of a light, cream-colored, shaly composition. Wherever a living stream of water is found, there also is a village, with clusters of trees. From points where a comprehensive view is obtainable, the effect of these dark green spots scattered here and there among the whitish hills seen through the clear rarefied atmosphere is most beautiful it seems a peculiar feature of everything in the east not only the cities themselves but even of the landscape to look beautiful and enchanting at a distance but upon a closer approach all its beauty vanishes like an illusory dream spots that from a distance look amid their barren sun-blistered surroundings like lovely bits of fairyland upon closer investigation degenerate into wretched habitations of ragged poverty-stricken people having about them a few neglected orchards and vineyards and a couple of dozen straggling willows and jujubes for many hours again to-day i am traversing mountains 
Mountains, nothing but mountains, following tortuous camel paths far up their giant slopes. Sometimes these camel paths are splendidly smooth, and make most excellent riding. At one place particularly, where they wind horizontally around the mountainside, hundreds of feet above a village immediately below, it is as though the villagers were in the pit of a vast amphitheatre and myself were wheeling around a semicircular platform five hundred feet above them, but in plain view of them all. I can hear the wonderstruck villagers calling each other's attention to the strange apparition, and can observe them swarming upon the housetops. What wonderful stories the inhabitants of this particular village will have to recount to their neighbors, of this marvelous sight, concerning which their own unaided minds can give no explanation. Noontide comes and goes without bringing me any dinner, when I emerge upon a small, cultivated plateau and descry a coterie of industrious females reaping together in a field nearby, and straightway turn my footsteps thitherward with a view of ascertaining whether they happen to have any eatables. No sooner do they observe me trundling toward them than they ingloriously flee the field, thoughtlessly leaving bag and baggage to the tender mercies of a ruthless invader. Among their effects I find some bread and a cucumber, which I forthwith confiscate, leaving a two-and-a-half piaster metallique piece in its stead. The affrighted women are watching me from the safe distance of three hundred yards. When they return and discover the coin, they will wish some cycler would happen along and frighten them away on similar conditions every day. Later in the afternoon, I find myself wandering along the wrong trail, not a very unnatural occurrence hereabout, for since leaving the valley of the Jivmaili Kai, it has been difficult to distinguish the Erzingan Trail from the numerous other trails intersecting the country in every direction. On such a journey as this one seems to acquire a certain amount of instinct concerning roads. Certain it is that I never traverse a wrong trail any distance these days ere, without any tangible evidence whatever, I feel instinctively that I am going astray. A party of camel drivers direct me toward the lost Erzingen Trail, and in an hour I am following a tributary of the ancient Lycus River, along a valley where everything looks marvelously green and refreshing. It is as though I have been suddenly transferred into an entirely different country. This innovation from barren rocks and sun-baked shale to a valley where the principal crops seem to be alfalfa and clover, and which is flanked on the south by dense forests of pine encroaching downward from the mountain slopes clear on to the level greensward, is rather an agreeable surprise. The secret of the magic change does not remain a secret long. It reveals itself in the shape of sundry broad snow patches still lingering on the summits of a higher mountain range beyond. These pine forests, the pleasant greensward, and the lingering snow banks tell an oft-repeated tale. They speak eloquently of forests preserved and the winter snowfall thereby increased. They speak all the more eloquently because of being surrounded by barren, parched-up hills which, under like conditions, might produce similar happy results, but which now produce nothing. While traversing this smiling valley, I meet a man asleep on a buffalo araba. An irrigating ditch runs parallel with the road and immediately alongside. 
the meek-eyed buffaloes swerve into the ditch in deference to their awe of the bicycle, ere it upset a drowsy driver into the water. The male evidently stands in need of a bath, but somehow he doesn't seem to appreciate it. Perhaps it happened a trifle too impromptu, as it were, to suit his easy-going Asiatic temperament. He returns my rude, unsympathetic smile with a prolonged stare of bewilderment, but says nothing. Soon I meet a boy riding on a donkey, and ask him the postaya distance to Erzingen. The youth looks frightened half out of his senses, but manages to retain sufficient presence of mind to elevate one finger, by which I understand him to mean that it is one hour, or about four miles. Accordingly, I pedal perseveringly ahead, hoping to reach the city before dusk, at the same time feeling rather surprised at finding it so near, as I haven't been expecting to reach there before tomorrow. Five miles beyond where I met the boy, and just after sundown, I overtake some katirjis en route to Erzingen with donkey loads of grain, and ask them the same question. From them I learn that instead of one, it is not less than twelve hours distant, also that the trail leads over a fearfully mountainous country. Nestling at the base of the mountains, a short distance to the northward, is the large village of Merisarif, and not caring to tempt the fates into giving me another supperless night in a cold, cheerless cave, I went my way thither. Fortune throws me into the society of an Armenian, whose chief anxiety seems to be, first, that I shall thoroughly understand that he is an Armenian, and not a Mussulman, and, secondly, to hasten me into the presence of the Mudir, who is a Mussulman, and a Turkish Bey, in order that he may bring himself into the Mudir's favorable notice by personally introducing me as a rare novelty on to his, the Mudir's, threshing floor. The official and a few friends are sipping coffee in one corner of the threshing floor, and although I don't much relish my position of the Armenian's puppet show, I give the mudir an exhibition of the bicycle's use, in the expectation that he will invite me to remain his guest overnight. He proves uncourteous, however, not even inviting me to partake of coffee. Evidently, he has become so thoroughly accustomed to the abject servility of the Armenians about him who would never think of expecting reciprocating courtesies from a social superior, that he has unconsciously come to regard everybody else, save those whom he knows as his official superiors, as tarred, more or less, with the same feather. In consequence of this belief, I am not a little gratified when, upon the point of leaving the threshing floor, an occasion offers of teaching him different. Other friends of the Mudirs appear upon the scene just as I am leaving, and he beckons me to come back and bin for the enlightenment of the new arrivals. The Armenian's countenance fairly beams with importance at thus being, as it were, encored, and the collected villagers murmur their approval. But I answer the Mudirs' beckoned invitation by a negative wave of the hand, signifying that I can't bother with him any further. The common herd around regard this self-assertive reply with open-mouthed astonishment, as though quite too incredible for belief. It seems to them an act of almost criminal discourtesy, and those immediately about me seem almost inclined to take me back to the threshing-floor like a culprit. But 
the Moodir himself is not such a blockhead, but that he realizes the mistake he has made. He is too proud to acknowledge it, though. Consequently, his friends miss, perhaps, the only opportunity in their uneventful lives of seeing a bicycle ridden. Owing to my ignorance of the vernacular, I am compelled to drift, more or less, with the tide of circumstances about me. Upon entering one of these villages, for accommodation, and make the best of whatever capricious chance provides. My Armenian manager now delivers me into the hands of one of his compatriots, from whom I obtain supper and a quilt, sleeping, from a not over-extensive choice, on some straw beneath the broad eaves of a long granary adjoining the house. I am for once quite mistaken in making an early breakfastless start, for it proves to be eighteen weary miles over a rocky mountain pass before another human habitation is reached a region of jagged rocks deep gorges and scattered pines fortunately however i am not destined to travel the whole eighteen miles in a breakfastless condition not quite a breakfastless condition perhaps half the distance is traversed when while trundling up the ascent i meet a party of horsemen a turbaned old Turk, with an escort of three Zaptias, and another traveller, who is keeping pace with them for company and safety. The old Turk asks me to bin Bekalim, supplementing the request by calling my attention to his turban, a gorgeously spangled affair that would seem to indicate the wearer to be a personage of some importance. I observe, also, that the butt of his revolver is of pearl inlaid with gold, another indication of either rank or opulence. Having turned about and granted his request, I, in turn, call his attention to the fact that mountain climbing on an empty stomach is anything but satisfactory or agreeable, and give him a broad hint by inquiring how far it is before ekmek is obtainable. For a reply, he orders Zaptia to produce a wheaten cake from his saddlebags, and the other traveller voluntarily contributes three apples, which he ferrets out from the ample folds of his cummerbund, and off this I make a breakfast. Toward noon, the highest elevation of the pass is reached, and I commence the descent toward the Erzingen Valley, following for a number of miles the course of a tributary of the western fork of the Euphrates, known among the natives in a general sense as the Frat this particular branch is locally termed the Karasu or black water the stream and my road lead down a rocky defile between towering hills of rock and slaty formation whose precipitous slopes vegetable nature seems to shun and everything looks black and desolate as though some blighting curse had fallen upon the place up this same rocky passageway, eight summers ago, swarmed thousands of wretched refugees from the seat of war in eastern Armenia. Small oblong mounds of loose rocks and boulders are frequently observed all down the ravine, mournful reminders of one of the most heart-rendering phases of the Armenian campaign. Green lizards are scuttling about among the rude graves, making their habitations in the oblong mounds. About two o'clock I arrive at a roadside khan, where an ancient Osmanli dispenses feeds of grain for travellers' animals, and brews coffee for the travellers themselves, besides furnishing them with whatever he happens to possess in the way of eatables to such as are unfortunately obliged to patronize his cuisine or go without anything. 
among this latter class belongs unhappily my hungry self upon inquiring for refreshments the kanji conducts me to a rear apartment and exhibits for my inspection the contents of two jars one containing the native idea of butter and the other the native conception of a soft variety of cheese what difference is discoverable between these two kindred products is chiefly a difference in the degree of rancidity and odoriferousness in which respect the cheese plainly carries off the honors in fact these venerable and estimable qualities of the cheese are so remarkably developed that after one cautious peep into its receptacle i forbear to investigate their comparative excellencies any further but obtaining some bread and a portion of the comparatively mild and inoffensive butter i proceed to make the best of circumstances the old khanji proves himself a thoughtful considerate landlord for as i eat he busies himself picking the most glaringly conspicuous hairs out of my butter with the point of his dagger one is usually somewhat squeamish regarding hirsute butter but all such little refinements of civilized life as hairless butter or strained milk have to be winked at to a greater or less extent in asiatic traveling especially when depending solely on what happens to turn up from one meal to another the narrow lonely defile continues for some miles eastward from the khan and ere i emerge from it altogether i encounter a couple of ill-starved natives who venture upon an effort to intimidate me into yielding up my purse a certain mahmoud ali and his band of enterprising freebooters have been terrorizing the villagers and committing highway robberies of late around the country but from the general appearance of these two as they approach i take them to be merely villagers returning home from erzingen afoot they are armed with circassian guardless swords and flintlock horse pistols upon meeting they address some question to me in turkish to which i make my customary reply of takchi binmus one of them then demands para money in a manner that leaves something of a doubt whether he means it for begging or is ordering me to deliver in order to better discover their intentions i pretend not to understand whereupon the spokesman reveals their meaning plain enough by reiterating the demand in a tone meant to be intimidating and half unsheathes his sword in a significant manner intuitively the precise situation of affairs seems to reveal itself in a moment they are but ordinarily inoffensive villagers returning from erzingen where they have sold and squandered even the donkeys they rode to town meeting me alone and as they think in the absence of outward evidence that i am unarmed they have become possessed of the idea of retrieving their fortunes by intimidating me out of money never were men more astonished and taken aback at finding me armed and they both turn pale and fairly shiver with fright as i produce the smith and wesson from its inconspicuous position at my hip and hold it on a level with the bold spokesman's head they both look as if they expected their last hour had arrived and both seem incapable either of utterance or of running away in fact their embarrassment is so ridiculous that it provokes a smile and it is with anything but a threatening or angry voice that i bid them haiti the bold highwaymen seem only too thankful of a chance to haiti and they look quite confused and i fancy even ashamed of themselves as they betake themselves off up the ravine
I am quite as thankful as themselves at getting off without the necessity of using my revolver, for had I killed or badly wounded one of them, it would probably have caused no end of trouble or vexatious delay, especially in case they proved to be what I take them for, instead of professional robbers. Moreover, I might not have gotten off unscathed myself, for while their ancient flintlocks were in all probability not even loaded, being worn more for appearances by the native than anything else, these fellows sometimes do desperate work with their ugly and ever-handy swords when cornered up, in proof of which we have the late dastardly assault on the British consul at Etzerum, of which we shall doubtless hear the particulars upon reaching that city before long the ravine terminates and i emerge upon the broad and smiling erzingen valley at the lower extremity of the ravine the stream has cut its channel through an immense depth of conglomerate formation a hundred feet of boulders and pebbles cemented together by integrant particles which appear to have been washed down from the mountains probably during the subsidence of the deluge for even if that great catastrophe were a comparatively local occurrence, instead of a universal flood, as some profess to believe, we are now gradually creeping up toward Ararat, so that this particular region was undoubtedly submerged. What appear to be petrified chunks of wood are interspersed through the mass. There is nothing new under the sun, they say. Peradventure, they may be sticks of cooking-stove wood indignantly cast out of the kitchen window of the ark by Mrs. Noah, because the absent-minded patriarch habitually persisted in cutting them three inches too long for the stove. Who knows? I now wheel along a smooth, level road leading through several orchard-environed villages. General cultivation and an atmosphere of peace and plenty seems to pervade the valley which, with its scattering villages amid the foliage of their orchards, looks most charming upon emerging from the gloomy environments of the rock-ribbed and verdureless ravine. A fitting background is presented on the south by a mountain chain of considerable elevation, upon the highest peaks of which still linger tardy patches of snow. Since the occupation of ears by the Russians, the military mantle of that important fortress has fallen upon Erzurum and Erzingen. The booming of cannon fired in honor of the Sultan's birthday is awakening the echoes of the rock-ribbed mountains as I wheel eastward down the valley. And within about three miles of the city, I pass the headquarters of the garrison. Long rows of hundreds of white field tents are ranged about the position on the level greensward. The place presents an animated scene, with the soldiers, some in the ordinary blue, trimmed with red, others in cool, white uniforms, especially provided for the summer, but which they are not unlikely to be found also wearing in winter, owing to the ruinous state of the Ottoman exchequer, and one and all wearing the picturesque but uncomfortable fez. Cannons are booming, drums beating, and bugles playing. From the military headquarters to the city is a splendid broad macadam, converted into a magnificent avenue by rows of trees. It is a general holiday with the military, and the avenue is alive with officers and soldiers going and returning between Erzingen and the camp. The astonishment of the valiant warriors of Islam, as they wheel briskly down the thronged avenue, can be better imagined than described 
the soldiers whom i pass immediately commence yelling at their comrades ahead to call their attention while epauletted officers forget for the moment their military dignity and reserve as they turn their affrighted chargers around and gaze after me stupefied with astonishment perhaps they are wondering whether i am not some supernatural being connected in some way with the celebration of the sultan's birthday a winged messenger perhaps from the prophet upon reaching the city i repair at once to the large custom-house caravanserai and engage a room for the night the proprietor of the rooms seems a sensible fellow with nothing of the inordinate inquisitiveness of the average native about him and instead of throwing the weight of his influence and his persuasive powers on the side of the importuning crowd he authoritatively bids them hidey locks the bicycle in my room and gives me the key the erzingen caravanserai and all these caravanserais are essentially similar is a square courtyard surrounded by the four sides of a two-storied brick building the ground floor is occupied by the offices of the importers of foreign goods and the custom-house authorities the upper floor is divided into small rooms for the accommodation of travellers and caravan men arriving with goods from Trebizond. sallying forth in search of supper i am taken in tow by a couple of armenians who volunteer the welcome information that there is an americanish hakim in the city this intelligence is an agreeable surprise for erzurum is the nearest place in which i have been expecting to find an english-speaking person while searching about for the hakim we pass near the zaptia headquarters the officers are enjoying their nargile in the cool evening air outside the building and seeing an englishman beckon us over they desire to examine my teskeri the first occasion on which it has been officially demanded since landing at izmit although i have voluntarily produced it on previous occasions and that sivas requested the vali to attach his seal and signature this is owing to the proximity of erzingen to the russian frontier and the suspicions that any stranger may be subject of the czar visiting the military centers for sinister reasons they sent an officer with me to hunt up the resident pasha that worthy and enlightened personage is found busily engaged in playing a game of chess with a military officer and barely takes the trouble to glance at the proffered passport it is vised by the sivas valley he says and lackadaisically waves us adieu upon returning to the zaptia station a quiet unassuming american comes forward and introduces himself as dr van norden a physician formerly connected with the persian mission the doctor is a spare-built and not over-robust man and would perhaps be considered by most people as a trifle eccentric instead of being connected with any missionary organization he nowadays wanders hither and thither acquiring knowledge and seeking whom he can persuade from the error of their ways meanwhile supporting himself by the practice of his profession among other interesting things spoken of he tells me something of his recent journey to kiva the doctor pronounces it hiva he was surprised he says at finding the kivans a mild-mannered and harmless sort of people among whom the carrying of weapons is as much the exception as it is the rule in asiatic turkey doubtless the fact of kiva being under the russian government has something to do with the latter otherwise unaccountable fact after supper 
we sit down on a newly arrived bale of Manchester calico in the caravanserai court, cross one knee, and whittle chips like Michigan Grangers at a crossroads post office, and spend two hours conversing on different topics. The good doctor's mind wanders as naturally into serious channels as water gravitates to its level. When I inquire if he has heard anything of the whereabouts of Mahmoud Ali and his gang lately, the pious doctor replies chiefly by hinting what a glorious thing it is to feel prepared to yield up the ghost at any moment. And when I recount something of my experiences on the journey, instead of giving me credit for pluck, like other people, he merely inquires if I don't recognize the protecting hand of providence. Native modesty prevents me telling the doctor of my valuable missionary work at Sivas. After the doctor's departure, I wander forth into the bazaar to see what it looks like after dark. Many of the stalls are closed for the day, the principal places remaining open being Kave Khans and Armenian wine shops, and before these petroleum lamps are kept burning, the remainder of the bazaar is in darkness. I have not strolled about many minutes before I am corralled, as usual, by Armenians. They straightway send off for a youthful compatriot of theirs who has been to the missionary school at Kaisaria and can speak a smattering of English. After the usual program of questions, they suggest, Being an Englishman, you are, of course, a Christian, by which they mean that I am not a Muslim. Certainly, I reply whereupon they lug me into one of their wine-shops and tender me a glass of raki, a corruption of arak, raw, fiery spirits of the kind known among the English soldiers in India by the suggestive pseudonym of fixed bayonets. Smelling the raki, I make a wry face and shove it away. They look surprised and order the waiter to bring cognac. To save the waiter the trouble, I make another wry face, indicative of disapproval, and suggest that he bring Vishnur Su. Vishnur Su! Two or three of them sing out in a chorus of blank amazement. Ingilis! Christian! Vishnur Su! they exclaim, as though such a preposterous and unaccountable thing as a Christian partaking of a non-intoxicating beverage like Vishnur Su is altogether beyond their comprehension. The youth, who has been to the Kazaria school, then explains to the others that the American missionaries never indulge in intoxicating beverages. This seems to clear away the clouds of their mystification to some extent, and they order Vishnur Su, eyeing me critically, however, as I taste it, as though expecting to observe me make yet another wry countenance, and acknowledge that in refusing the fiery, throat-blistering Rocky, I had made a mistake. End of section 35. Recording by William Tomko.